Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What if I told you there's a world where not only are monsters like vampires and werewolves real, but they have rights just like you and me. And in this world, there exists a secret government organization dedicated to keeping you safe and making sure they follow the rules. Welcome to Anarium a Monster of the Week podcast. Each episode, you will follow the story of three agents of Anarium, played by Rob Hamilton, Taylor Catron, and Cameron Bain, as they navigate through the treacherous world that Game Master Samuel Herbert has imagined for them. Tune in on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. It's dangerous out there, folks. So, remember, leave the monster hunting to us. The professionals. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So I have been really waiting for tonight's episode for so very long. I'm Me really too. happy to have our two guests on show tonight. But before we introduce some voices that will hopefully sound familiar to longtime fans of the show, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. How are things where you are this evening? Pretty good. We moved. Believe it or not, so we're still in so Connecticut. We get to play where is Glenn tonight? We do a little bit. I'm I'm in Holland right, well, Connecticut. We're practicing some boondocking. We got to get used to how to make all the power stretch and everything, so that we don't wind up unhappy with no devices right. and sadness. Right. You know so, so you don't blow out the entire entirety of the electrical system in your RV again? Yeah, that was a little bit different than what we're talking about now. Funny story, but yeah, we've covered that before in a previous <laughs> yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, but yeah, the trials and tribulations of learning to live in an RV. We've only yep. been doing it for about six months, so we're right. definitely still working the learning curve. More power to you. But Jenny and I were talking earlier today about about your lifestyle. Her and I both came to the consensus that we will happily watch you and your family live in an RV from afar. That is not for us. <laughs> that is okay. That is, Dude, it took that a is, lot. The, yeah. just, it took a lot. Getting small enough to fit in an RV was a painful process. Uh, I, can't, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. 
So, how about uh, speaking of small enough to fit in an RV? How about you, Mr. Miller? How are things going with you? Ouch! Ouch! What? <laughs> Actually, size for your convenience. If it was your real the- size, his real size, your cow here would die of fright. Yeah. To be fair, I'm actually very proud that I can fit in an RV. I've lost a lot of weight in the last six months. I'm not going there. That's that's a whole thing. But <laughs> about twenty five ish pounds in six months. Congrats, man. Too bad. Yeah. Thank you. So things are going exceptionally well, really well. I still got some stuff I can't divulge NDAs type stuff just yet, but the stuff that I can talk about is amazing. One, doing some character gen to add to our patron games this weekend. So I'm looking forward to doing some more Star Trek Adventures gaming, getting that ready to go. I am prepping for running an STA game at Drinking and Dragons, a local convention here in southeastern Connecticut, Colchester this time around. And that's benefiting a great charity called CT Out. That's basically an organization that provides resources and assistance and help and connections for teens and LG, LGBTQA plus youth who do not have supports at home. So when they don't have anybody to count on, this is an organization that they can look out to or look to to help connect them with the right resources. Great people of that organization. The folks who run Drinking and Dragons have had their proceeds benefit this charity in the past. And for a whole lot of reasons, really glad that it's happening this year. I've had close friends reach out and ask me if I knew anybody that could help in various situations. And I was very happy to say, I know an organization that can do that. And and then two days later, found out that that's who we were benefiting this time around. So really proud to, one, be asked to run a table at this convention anyway, and two, that the proceeds are going to such a really amazing cause. It means yeah. a lot to me that we're able to do that. That is well, awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic that's awesome. that you were part of setting that's that awesome. up. I didn't even realize that that connection existed between this year's beneficiary for Drinking and Dragons. They do different charities each session. So sometimes they've done veterans group, sometimes they've done, but this is one they go back to year after year because it's near and dear to all of the people who run the, sh- run the event, okay. their hearts, and it's certainly near and dear to my heart. And it's one of the ones that I'm most proud about. And I'm you're running also- STA, right? Yep, I'll be running STA. The adventure I'm running is actually out of the core rule book, the adventure that's in there, so to help help newer players get on board. So I'm happy to be doing that. And then I'll be running another set of adventures, or I'm running two STA sessions at Terrificon, uh, being held at Mohegan Sun in conjunction with the Citadel Game Cellar at the end of the month. Two two convention appearances for Tabletop Journeys. I'm proud and happy to be a part of it and excited to be rolling dice with lots of people. That's what this hobby is all about, bringing in people. That's the fun stuff. I love that you're getting into the conventions as much as you are and being able to make the time for them because you are a fantastic ambassador for this hobby, my friend, and a great person to introduce people to games. How many seats are you taking at your table this year? I believe... I have set it up for up to six, Cool. but as has always been the case with Drinking and Dragons, if they've got extra people that need a table to sit at, I will find a way to make sure people have fun. To be fair, it is rare that tickets to my particular table generally don't last much longer than one to two hours. I no, you sell, out, sell you sell out. out every year, my friend. You sell out every yeah. year. What was it that Hetfield said? It was New- uh, Jason Newstead said it. it was uh, Newstead. Uh, when they accused Metallica of selling out after the Black Album, he said, you're absolutely right, we do. We sell out every f- stadium, every f- night we play. Nothing wrong with that thought <laughs> process, really. <laughs> 
yeah, I am really looking forward to it. I love having people at my table. I love the connections I've made just at that convention. I've got people that have played at my tables there. And then even if they're at other tables, it's great during the breakout session where we get to get together in kibitz and talk about different things that we do. And it's an amazing time. It's an amazing time. Awesome. All right. So let's get on with tonight's episode because, man, have I been like absolutely jonesing for this conversation since since we first put this together. So about two years ago now, we first sat down with these two fine gentlemen to go ahead and talk about what was at that time the soon-to-be-kickstarted Powered by the Apocalypse build based on Faith No More's album, The Real Thing. And we have got Jason Ward and Jason Piercy from Accidental Cyclops Games back in studio tonight to go ahead and talk about what is their next Kickstarter, and I can't can't wait because it's angel dust and king for a day and i can't wait <clears throat> gentlemen welcome to tabletop journeys very nice thank to see you, you. <laughs> so to be here. how have you guys been like what have you guys been up to oh jesus go ahead ward uh, mine will take forever <laughs> i'm not gonna take forever. covid happened yeah no covid was mostly under control by the time we kickstarted the first version and the last year's been crazy man we've been working on this a little bit this being angel dust and king for a day also working on a 5e campaign setting that's going to be coming out next year so we'll talk again then hopefully nice i like it Uh, absolutely i'll be offended if we don't (laughs) there there is a small chance a very small chance that we're going to try to get somebody big involved i don't want to say anything to jinx it a well-known DD author nice small chance small chance But we've already got a couple of, I'm going to say like A minus celebrity people that are going to be involved. And I'm not even counting myself. I'm barely a D <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have some fun with it. I am holding your book at the very least, your B plus. Right. Uh, at the very much least. Heart. Yeah. Much heart. Yeah. The plus is from James, who did the art for the first book. We're just <laughs> yeah, true yeah, yeah. story. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, life's just been hectic working and taking care of kids and making games, man. Yeah. There you so, go. sir. What? I know. Oh, yes, sir. Well, it's, I mean, I'm whatever. I'm just a writer. It's fine. I just write scenarios. <laughs> so, I'm going to borrow a page from Glenn's book. Stop selling yourself short, man. <laughs> <laughs> I do tell people that all the time. Yeah. Well, Own I, it. Yeah. Step up yeah. to the plate. So, I do re- VR research at IEPUI. I, I write with Ward at Accidental Cyclops, which is like more fulfilling than I could ever imagine. And it's been an extremely awesome journey and we're still learning as we go. And I definitely do my fair share of screwing up and he's, Hey man, I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. Thanks. Appreciate that. We all do that. I'm just the first one to say, Hey, your screwing up's affecting me. I don't have time for this. Help. No, I appreciate it though. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, hold on. I'll get right on that. Opened a small little film company and I've been to Greece and made a bunch of documentaries there. I don't know, man. It's been a lot. I've, done more professional GMing stuff through Dragon Thrones. I was there for a weekend and it was a wonderful experience. Evan and Chris at the Game Theater are fantastic. Check them out. They have lots of stuff. We're also going to be at Gen Con where if you're talking, Lou, about being at conventions and playing games, I'm running the real thing at Gen Con three different days. Different days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And they're all are already sold out. I don't even know who they are. And it's not even the original scenario. It's just, I'll leave you with this. It's the Woodpecker from Mars. Fill in your alien fantasy there. Yeah, and I'm also on a panel. The baseline is hitting me right now, (laughs) and it's good. (laughs) So it's been a good couple years, and I think it's just going to keep getting better as we find love from the community and enjoy 
sharing ourselves with you guys and other folks who we've met. And yeah, yeah. we just, thanks. Thanks for letting oh, us even hey. be here and talk about this. Extra thank you because you were actually our first podcast we were on. No um, kidding. To be totally oh. appropriate about it. You, you, you divergenized us to, <laughs> to, to being on air and oh. talking about the work that we're doing. So we stepped oh, up on you, you guys. Ho- so, hopefully we were gentle. I remember finding on Twitter, the real thing, Twitter account. And mm-hmm. I saw like Kickstarter, Powered by the Apocalypse, real thing. I remembered messaging Lewanika and I was like, <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to say three words and it's role playing game based on the real thing. And he's like, yes, like I don't, we don't care what it takes. Like how long do they need to bring them words. in? Yeah. I, so here's, 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 here's yeah. the funny thing. Yeah. And I don't think I ever shared this with you guys. And Piercy, we were talking about diff- favorite karaoke songs. So yep, this yep. plays in here, right? When Josh told me that, that was like the night or two after the last time I went out and did karaoke, and I had literally done that night The Real Thing and War Pigs. Those are two of my go-to songs, by the way. Zombie Eaters. (laughs) Zombie Eaters for me, man. Yeah. And so when he said that, I'm like, yeah, because I'm I'm like already still there. I hadn't worked that out of my system for that week yet. And and it was like, yes, we need to make this happen. Who do we have? What What do we need to do? When I first heard about it, the non-musically obsessed person, almost the musically (laughs) illiterate. And I'm sitting there going to my wife. We're going to we're going to be doing something with a role-playing game based on an album by Faith No More. I'm not really sure how you make a game out of a music album, yeah. but hopefully it'll be fun. And oh my God, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks. I found out very soon after we launched our campaign that we weren't, I thought we were going to be the first to have done the concept album based on an album or concept game based on an album. Yeah. Turns out there was another one that did very well just mere months before us. Huh. And I can't remember what the band, what was the band? Jason? It was the Dead Milkman. Yeah. The Dead Milkman. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, those okay. guys are great. They're great. <laughs> and they're band, ridiculous. I am yeah. way less sure how you would make a game based on albums by the Dead Milkmen than by Faith No More. Like Faith No More made sense to me. Yeah, yeah. that's that's. It made sense to me too. But yeah, so me I, too. I, I think that's. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and jump in here and get a question. To go ahead and get you guys talking. And that's kind of where I want to start. Before we get into the next Kickstarter, I want to hear about how well the real thing did and what has the reception been to the real thing in the greater TRPG community? Like, yeah. Like what you got? Yeah. So this probably should not be surprising, but the biggest response we've gotten is, Oh, there's actually a game here. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, yeah. it was going to be just kitschy, right? Like it was going to yeah. be just a clever thing, a money grab or something like that. And a lot of the commentary we've gotten was, Oh, there's actually a really good game in here. And yes, Faith No More music is a part of it. It's woven in pretty strongly. But at the same time, even if we didn't base it on Faith No More and we called things different things and had a slightly different theme to it, there would still be a lot of really good mechanisms in this game. And our particular hack of Powered by the Apocalypse has been very well received, which is nice. We celebrate your specific hack for Powered Mm. by the Apocalypse all the time. In the fact, discoveries. Oh, man, thanks. You, the discovery system is freaking brilliant. It's like one of the greatest things I've ever sat down. It's our favorite mechanic that we've run into since we started going through games from Kickstarters, etc. That one mechanic is like the top oh, tier yeah. in terms yeah. of upping the play. So that's cool. Yeah, in fact, I just got a chubby. Thank yeah, you. yeah. That's all this dude. That's all Ward. That was uh, his idea. I can tell you that we've played several PBTA builds, various from 
Kickstarters or other independent creators that have done them, and they've all been a ton of fun. The system is fun, right? But the different takes on the game to different themes were really strong. But we just did our first big episode on here's what PBTA is. We just recorded it two nights ago, and that will air soon. Josh will give us all the deets here in a little bit. But we were talking about your game in catch and response to a lot of the questions, because when we think about this, even though we talked about the supers game we played, which was a lot of fun, even when we talked about some of the other games that we played and some of the other games that I even have on myself that I have yet to get to play. The reality is the discovery system and the characters we built and played and the camaraderie between the four of us and Mike from 19 hits the dragon paralleled like more gamers absolutely need to get a piece of that magic yeah you'll be happy to know that it's still a part of what we're doing going forward then and when we get later when we talk about king for a day ask me about discovery and king for a day yeah so it's funny because there was an article that came out probably within the last week or so about the 10 tropiest ways to start a campaign, right? And it went through like your favorite, you're all in a tavern, you're all thrown in jail, blah, 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 blah. One of them was you all have amnesia. Immediately when I heard that, I was like, because they didn't do it the right way and that they didn't build in the discovery of how to break the amnesia into the freaking mechanics of the game as a failure condition. That's the genius of it is because BTA like thrives so much. It's, it's fail forward conditions rather. And Telling you who you are as an aspect of not succeeding on a task is so beautiful about that. We've referenced that a hundred times. The magic of that I see in this is this. Nobody sits down at a game to lose. And I say air quotes. Anybody watching me can see the bunny ears, right? The listening audience can't, but understand I've got bunny ears. But Nobody likes to lose, right? So when you roll your dice, doesn't matter what system you're in, when that die roll fails, even if you can flip the switch in your brain and use that to build drama and do other things, that's fine. But there is always that moment where that failure just isn't fun. I found in the very first scene, I did not want to succeed because failing was more fun than winning. (laughs) No game I have ever played has that ever been true. Only exception to that is possibly when you're bowling on a team and you draw the short straw. So you're the one on week one that has to bowl very badly. So you get a great handicap for the team. That's the only time that's ever been remotely fun because then you can come out the next time and throw all the strikes you want. To back it up from the other side, in the beginning, like for most of the first act, Travis was rolling really well. And I was watching Aristotle and I'm not going to be able to come up with the other character names. Stanley, I was watching them mark discoveries and move up towards actually advancing in rank because that's how you advance. That's how you move to the next level with Lee's bunnies. Yeah. Air quoting in the air. And I was a little jealous. I'm like, crap, I thought I was doing great because I'm rolling so well, but I'm not advancing and I'm not coming up with any cool stories about my character. So I was disappointed to be rolling so well. And by the time my dice finally started falling apart, I was like, yes. Yeah. Brilliant. I was going to say the thing that I don't know that people consciously put together, but that is in my mind every time I run the system is 
what that discovery mechanic does when you fail is it's, it, it, the moment becomes less about now and more about another time. And that is the magic of discovery for me. It's okay. I am not being the best me right now, but that's okay because I have been a better me in the past. And let's talk about that. And that to me is just, I get shivers when those discoveries are just like really transformative. And I'm like, it's cool that you guys defeat the big bad or you snuck past the thing or whatever. That's fun. And we're progressing the story. But what's way more interesting is the shiver down my spine when someone's, oh, yeah, I really boffed that. But at the same time, the last time I really boffed something and it really stuck with me, it was when insert discovery here. And it's just great. Okay. Definitely turn my opinion. Like I'm, I come from like more of an old school D style, and very much not that rolling bad is rolling bad and rolling good is rolling good. It, the story is what matters, right? But this really turned me into the whole like, oh, this is a way to give players much more agency than previously, and that's like super important to me as a person who writes and run games and cr- creates VR experiences. I'm like, how can I give someone experiencing something that I've had a hand in? And this is all Ward's idea, right? Ward had the discovery idea. No, legit, it was your idea. It was it's my a idea. Great idea. We made it better together. Fair. And I, could be- I get that 100% because the three of us do that every time we're creating. <laughs> it's never just one person's idea by the time we're done with it. True. Yeah. But it was just like a, it became a very like elegant thing to add in to the system that made it so that everyone at the table has, so, has a story to tell. Everyone has something to put into it. And I, I, it turned me. It totally turned me. I love the fact there was a moment when Riggs, one of the discoveries I made, and it was probably halfway, if not three quarters of the way through our sessions, where I had the opportunity to tell the story about how something went wrong. Like, we knew something had gone wrong at this point. Like, that that had already been revealed. <laughs> and I, I was the one who rolled the dice that basically got to describe what went wrong. And then I had that opportunity to tell that tale however I wanted to tell. And then when I'm looking at this character I built through the game, not the character I wrote up or rolled up or however the character got designed, but the character I built through discoveries, through the adventures we played, through the discussions about what my character was all about, whether it was a reluctant criminal, the actual criminal, all those things. When I went through all of that, when I had the opportunity to decide how this went wrong, and I said, I'm going to cast myself as the one who got us all f***ed up. And I did that. And I loved it. I'm like, what could be more rigs in that moment? The guy who's the protector who takes on all the this than to be the guy who screwed it up in the first place to explain why in the current day he's putting so much on himself, even if he didn't remember it. It revealed to me in game in session that I'm the one that put us all in this spot. So it then became my job to get us all out of it. Yeah. I yeah, love that moment, and that could not happen without something as cool as so the discovery system. In the two years since we have played with you guys, we have played a lot of games in these last two years, and yet I can still tell you exactly what Lewanika is talking about. He is mm-hmm. talking about the first time that the four of us got a shared discovery, and we had to go ahead and describe the heist that went. We had it to go ahead bad. and tell the story of the jewelry heist, and we did it like round robin, where it's like each of us told a little piece of the story, and you insisted on going last because you yep. knew how that story had to end. I, I knew. Exactly I had to take like, it on and I yeah. waited. I'm like, I want to go last. Like, yeah. I, I asked for it right up front. Cause I knew yeah. I had to take this on. So whatever story they spin, it was all going to fall on these shoulders. Yeah. And I, Oh, Oh, yeah. 
So good. Yeah, Pal- Pal- writing, I would say short of writing a novel with a really good editor, there is no way, no realistic way to create a character as deeply ahead of a game as there is to make one during the game, like what you guys did. It's I, just I would not- agree. That was one yep. of the characters I felt most like close to yeah. of, yep. of all the characters I've played in the last two years because yeah. of the discovery system and the pieces we learned about ourselves and how we fit together as we went. Yeah. Designing a character who was obsessively like ourselves back in back some I don't want to say idealized version, but some hyper realistic <laughs> version of ourselves back yeah, in the day. Yeah. I think that's a better phrase for it. Was one piece of that puzzle. It gave us a, an angle of connection. But the discoveries is really what made it home. Like I actually got to make in some cases, the decisions that I would have made back in the day. And in other cases, I made decisions that I clearly didn't because I learned when I was younger, I'm like, this is not a road I want to do- go down. But I got to explore what if I did go down that bad road? And that's who Riggs became. It became this hyper-realistic version of me who made some of the decisions that I fortunately was smart enough not to make and what happened as a result. And interestingly enough, even in that hyper-realized bad decision-making thing, there are some elements of that were still core to who I think I actually am that came through and actually got to become somewhat of a hero as if such a thing exists in, in, in this kind of game. But I actually got to feel heroic despite all of that. And that's just an amazing – it almost seems like if I say it was fun, I'm lying to you because <laughs> fun doesn't really capture it all. Yeah, it, It's – enriching it's exciting it's exhilarating it's frightening it's all of the things in one moment and i'm not sure there's an actual single word for it yet i can think of i can think of i can think of four words that it is it's the real thing (laughs) stop well and you notice how he actually counted first so he knew how many words (laughs) he was was trying to be poetic rather than clever and i was going to say that you just described life man but yeah (laughs) like it's the real thing better so for the second question that'll take us from one project to the next because we all know the real thing was amazing and still encourage adult content but encourage anybody who wants to go listen to our recordings of the real thing it was pretty fantastic but we have characters that we know and love from that game, and now we're moving possibly into a new game. How do the two correlate? Can you bring characters from the real thing into Angel Dust and then follow into King for a Day? If so, aside from characters, what else did you guys bring from the first game into this new set? And what did you learn along the way to improve and make different? Oh, yeah, that was like three questions in one. That's how I rolled. It might even be four, but again, I don't count nearly as fast. <laughs> you go first. All right. The scenario goes not directly where that one ends, this one picks up. There's a little bit of time, right? But you're still within the same world. You're still under whoever picks the next book up can easily take whatever they ran their players through if they want to do that scenario, if they don't want to build their own thing, which they fully can. Again, it's still much more of a an open world we just give you a scenario to go through if you'd like to try that one can, can jump uh, in real quick, Jay? Yeah, yeah please so I, we, just in case we have listeners on this one that weren't on the previous haven't heard anything about the real thing before to contextualize that so the real thing is we're going to say book one of this trilogy of books and it is two things it is a sandbox powered by the apocalypse game so you can write your own stories but 
what we played through with Tabletop Journeys folks here and what is included in the book is a scenario to be played through that we feel encapsulates the feeling of the Real Thing album. So the Real Thing is two things, and that's what Jason's describing here is you could have done your own adventure. We ran the one that's in the book for this group of cool dudes. Gotcha. Angel Dust, again, for the scenario, right? It will encapsulate the album Angel Dust, the phrenic insanity that album is. It ramps up, it hits high points, you got low points. But at this point, your characters know who they are. So the discovery mechanism is much more about discovering your world and discovering who you are in this world and what you've done with these other people and naming your own places that are safe or bad or whatever. And it's about building the world. And the scenario goes through, the scenario has some things built for you, but it's not meant to be railroady. There are four different paths you could choose. And it's not set as to what path to choose. It's a set of questions at the beginning and everyone answers how they answer. And then the GM decides, <laughs> okay, this one sounds the best. Let's go down that road. But you could also mix and match that if you want to. And by the end, you are in a place where you're closer to what I would call the main, it's not even a protagonist or antagonist. It's just a, let's say a player? one percenter. <laughs> The point, the right. point one percenter, point oh one percenter, even right. Yeah, you're okay. closer to that point oh one percenter, and then where we go from there, right? So you discover not only in the first one, in the real thing, who you are. You discover where you are in Angel Dust and who you are among that place, and then in King for a Day, you discover what you sacrifice for what you want to be. Yeah, that's that pretty cool. That's a great synopsis of Angel Dust and King for a Day, Jay. And I'll, mechanically, what we're talking about with Angel Dust is, again, it's expanding the sandbox that Real Thing created. The first third of the book is, here are some more rules about how to use discovery to build a world around the characters you built in the Real Thing. And it follows with that adventure that Jay was talking about with, it's not really tracked. It is, here's a menu of things that could happen, and we think it's going to be fun. You can be the same characters. You could also introduce new characters if you wanted to. It works either way. But you're still following some of the threads from the real thing and you are figuring out what do those threads weave are we, are we are we getting a tapestry here or is it a pair of underwear i don't know what we're getting but we're weaving something <laughs> yeah. and so that's where you're going with angel dust king with, with for all day. due respect to carol king <laughs> <laughs> yes nice yeah and then with king for a day you are again expanding the sandbox. We are introducing. I think Josh is trying not to die over there. I'm that. trying not to die because I just can't with <laughs> you right now, Lou and Nico. I mean, wow. I'll be here all week, guys. <laughs> oh my. King for a day, you are taking the reality you have now built and saying, what's through the looking glass in that reality? Um, what are the things we still don't understand about the nature of reality and how do we explore those? And as, as Jason said, what gets sacrificed to see the other side, right? Or to even move to the other side. And so uh, we're talking about the supernatural being introduced in some very real, uh, some very powerful ways and hard choices. I don't know if you guys played World of Darkness games back in the 90s, but the oh, yeah. Vampire the Masquerade in particular, oh, yeah. and then with Requiem as well, they were really good with it. But that balance of beast and humanity 
we're, that is our favorite mechanism from World of Darkness. Like it is the thing that got underutilized and people wanted potence rather than humanity for some reason. I don't know, but we're diving into that. What does that push and pull look like when you're deciding what is power? Am I going to be a king for a day? And the sacrifice will be, I'm now a fool for a lifetime. Or am I okay just treading the path that I was on? I know that there's something on the other side, but I'm good to stay on this side. And like what it's like with the group you're with, right? To watch, let's say you choose to stay on this side and stay who you are, right? You have maybe somebody else that doesn't choose that path. And then you got to play through that scenario watching someone you know, you maybe like or have made a relationship with go down a a path maybe you don't agree with. And what does that look like, right? So it it becomes much more esoteric in King for a Day, but at the same time, it's very personal still. Yeah, Yeah, I can definitely see Riggs in a situation where he could go that to that other side if he thought in that moment it was the only way to protect the others. Like if he thought I could save them from this evil again, bunny ears, our problem, this existence, if I do it, they won't have to, Riggs would do that in a heartbeat. It's yeah. a non-question. I can I see Riggs, Riggs trying to- staying on this side saying, now how do I deal with that? And I can almost see the adventures that follow that, where one of the others crossed over and Riggs is the only guy fighting against that at some on some level. I could see him like, it's almost that Clark Kent, small village Lex Luthor thing. It's, I know he's got all these problems, but I can bring him back. I can make him good again. I can see Riggs going either way. And it really depends on the role play, the discoveries, the, situ- the specific situations could alter that. Which reminds me of something I said the other day to somebody about the real thing is, what I really love about the game is even playing the scenario you ran us through, Piercy, is that there is zero chance that game is the same with any other group of people. Oh, no. Other not than at all. the four of us who played. And further, I'm not even 100% sure we'd get the exact same game with the same four people a second time. Because yeah, no, the we got the discoveries when uh, our moods at the time, how the scenarios played out, left instead of right, because time has passed. Unless I literally just listened to it again, we might go down the stairs at a different time. We might choose the left door instead of the right Aristotle might actually succeed on some of its attempts to charm people. (laughs) We might do things differently. And so that's amazing. There are not a lot of role-playing games and scenarios where the same group of people can do the thing twice and have it be different, let alone different people do it. That just doesn't happen. That's so unique and amazing. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys.
definitely talking about all three books at this point, and we may not be specifically going down King for a Day presently. Ward, you said specifically when we get to talking about King for a Day, ask us, ask me about the discovery system. Yeah. So we've been talking about the discovery system and our love for it for a while. So before we move on, it seems like a great opportunity to hit that up. This is still being massaged, but here's the here are the here's the high level pitch, not the nuts and bolts. You spent, I don't know, 10, 12, however many sessions, a good several dozen hours building up the character and the world around that character. Now you get to spend another however many sessions, maybe eight sessions, something like that, probably fewer than that, but a handful of sessions saying, okay, I'm okay with tearing down who I was to become something new. And the way that's going to work mechanically is you will fail roles and your discovery, instead of making a discovery, you will be removing a discovery in order to remove those discoveries and get back to that marker where you get to gain a new advancement. And so those advancements will then be, you're forgetting the way you used to do things in exchange to become more powerful and do new cool things. Uh, And so you're tearing down who you were and becoming something that is much more powerful, but also potentially soulless and directionless and who knows what else. You'll be that fool for a lifetime, right? Well, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Okay. You failed your role. Let's, instead of mark a discovery, let's remove a discovery. Tell me what part of your life you are now less in tune with. What is something like, did you forget your eighth grade girlfriend? What are we talking about here? You get a prompt around, what did you forget? And then it's cool. Now pick a new move, pick a new move from this list of special moves on a new character sheet. It is an additional third page to your character sheet, your playbook. That is a whole new menu of things you get to pick from. That's got deep implications. If I, Lost the discovery centered around Stanley's birthday party, which was one of the ones that he, that oh, yeah. he and I had about how close we were and how tight we were as friends. I'm going to wind up having to play that like I'm not feeling as close to Stanley anymore, a little bit more indifferent towards him. And that could really start to affect the group dynamic that we mm-hmm. built. All that, yeah. all that we've been touting, all that we've been praising, they're telling us we're going to have to tear it all down. That's nope, terrible. Nope. You can choose not you don't to. Have to. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's a choice. Yeah. But, oh, but the idea fantastic. is we get power if we do. <laughs> no, the angst behind the decisions. and Yeah. yeah. And that's what, the, coming back to that whole, like, what we liked about White Wolf, right? And what we liked about uh, things that were in that vein were the decisions you have to make about your character that we thought were like, man, that's a really cool idea. But in, in play-wise, there wasn't enough reward or interest to really do that. The power was much more, oh, I roll more dice and I get to more do more cool things. Let's dive into more like the story and how, like how that works. But at the same time, we're not going to pigeonhole you to now you're becoming a werewolf. Now you're becoming a vampire. The lore and the what you are is more up to you and how you describe it than it is if you take these specific things, you are a vampire. If you take these specific things, you are a whatever. No. <laughs> Like it, we keep on with that agency and that's the whole idea is to keep in like you describe what you're becoming when you're losing your, yourself. I really <laughs> love the fact that it's about keeping the agency in the player's hands in their mind and on their side of the dice because, and I love Vampire the Masquerade. The first character I ever played was a La Sombra Bishop for the Sabbat. And so oh, I, start, I started that game. You started in the best sect. Big bad guy. <laughs> unabashedly proud of it, right? And I remember saying, 
even within the confines of that game, in order to just be playing the game, these guys are way too tame for what they're supposed to be. And I love the Sabat, and I love Lasombra. That is my clan, right? I'm constantly picking on Josh about his second-rate Lasombra's <laughs> adventure. I, I pick on him about that all the time. But I it's some easy dwarf you all, so whatever. <laughs> Ouch. I, <laughs> no, they can, specifically, they can make you into a dwarf. Trust me, I, I had Benito as, as, as my Zemisi second in my Sabat pack, and he built a wall out of all of our enemies and kept them alive, and it was his wailing wall, and when we got mad at people, we would throw them into the wall. So That's I have, how you do. I have, I have mad love for Zemisi, but <laughs> even though they sketch me out a lot. They should. <laughs> but, they should sketch you out a lot. Yeah, they They're should. Sketchy. I just remember thinking that they should be worse than you can play them at the table. So the fact that the agency is with you, so your version of becoming more bestial, your version of this unmentionable power is of your own and within the confines of the game you're building with your friends at the table – that's the piece that White Wolf never quite captured. I don't know if they captured it in later versions of, of the Masquerade. I know they didn't have it there. I don't think the system would allow for the ability to capture it well. And it's a great game, but it doesn't capture that. And so hearing that that's going to be a facet of uh, the books that are coming is yeah. all the things, man. All the things. Yeah, you'll keep, your, you'll keep your original playbook. So if you're the stranger or the criminal or the killer or whatever it was that you were, great. You're going to add a third page that you get to dictate the tree that you pick going down that route. Or you can oh. never get a third page, and that's fine too. I'm uh, super excited, guys, because you introduced, not to give away spoilers for anybody who hasn't played the real thing, and our actual play only goes through the first two acts, so you don't get the conclusion. But at the conclusion of it, there is Supernatural introduced, or at least there was in the story that we played. And just everything about the way that game ended for Travis speaks directly into how this game's going to go, because he ended it when the creature at the end offered everybody something asking to become like them already. Yeah. At the end of it, that was his... One of his last lines in the game was, I want to be like you. And so heading in the direction where he's going to the next chapter being about him becoming like them after yeah. the angel dust portion of it would be fantastic. It, I've got to say, yeah, go, oh, ahead. go ahead, Josh. Now, I, I, I was going to change, change directions a little bit. So if you want to, yeah, I was just going to think you've asked a question yet. So I have had it. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of playbooks, I love all the playbooks in the game. It was a tough choice to go with the one that I eventually went with, and I felt that was a great choice. I don't regret that decision at all. I could see myself picking other ones in future plays of the game as well. But do you introduce any new playbooks in Angel Dust and King for a Day? And if so, can you give us a high level on what those might be or what those might be like? Yeah, for sure. There are two new playbooks coming in Angel Dust. We haven't currently planned any for King for a Day. They're not, they're none written. That's not to say that we might not have an idea or two before they go to print. And so right now there are two new playbooks coming. They are The Broker and The Fanatic. And The Broker is a skill set we thought was missing. In order to be a very social character, you had to go to the artist route or the, the artist, architect yeah. route. And they were social in a way that was more of an empathy driven social right and we built the broker playbook to be the manipulator it is the person that gets what they want or gets what other people want for them 
And so that's what the broker is. It is the person that can sit at a boardroom table and make deals or that can meet in a back alley and make sure they're getting way more value out of the Coke they're selling you than what it's worth. It's That's the kind of character we're talking about. The fanatic is a response to what I'm seeing in the world, which is just, man, everybody's doubling down on their stupid shit. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, That's just a brilliant way of saying that. Yeah, they're not even doubling. They're quadrupling, really. There's people yeah. doing some stuff that I'm like, really? Yeah. That it's, was your thought? Yeah. Come on. This is. I could talk for 30 minutes about be, how being human and being part of society is a choice, and that's really what this game is about, is making the choices to remain human and in society, as opposed to going off toward the monstrous route. To me, the fanatic is the first dipping of the toe into saying, I don't care what humanity's about, this is what I'm about, and I'm right. And that that's reinforced by a number of mechanisms, but the primary one is when you do something that adheres to your primary belief system, whether that's anarchy or the second amendment or whatever the thing is you pick that's your thing. Whenever you do a certain number of moves, resist or fight or overcome these specific moves, you always get a plus one if it isn't defense or offense for your particular belief system. It is just like you are gung ho for that. Everything else is second. I'm right. And F you. Yep. Yep. Nice. I can definitely see playing the broker and honestly had that been one of the options in the real thing i might have gone that route right off the rip yeah and again la sombra i love the fact that's one of the archetypes that you're bringing into the fold that's brilliant fantastic the fanatic is such a dose of realism in a fictional game that yeah. allows us to discuss the world we live in at the table yeah. that is Man, i yeah, hope so really good <laughs> yeah yeah, and that's just a, that's an added bonus, right? If our we want people to have fun for the four hours they're sitting down playing together, and we want them to build camaraderie and learn things about each other they didn't know before, and become better people and better groups because of it. If they can have conversations about how do we do that for the world, if we can lead people to conversations about that, drinking bourbon after the game because there was a great scene with the fanatic, great. That's just that's icing on the cake, right? If people are looking at the world in a different and better way, yeah. We'd be lying if we weren't saying these two scenarios are not allegories for now and what's always been, right? Yeah. Yeah. Might makes right or when essentially wealth is might. Okay, we've been living there for a long time. What do you do in that scenario? I appreciate you opening the topic of what's new in these books because that's one thing that I've really wanted to know is that playing through the real thing, one of the coolest things about the scenario that we played was that the entire time that we were playing, we as players did not actually know what was real. That was so beautifully woven together. That was, it was kind of like the game within the game. Wait, are these things actually happening to us or not? What is real? What is reality? It really tackled that, that core question of what really was reality versus how were we perceiving reality and what, where mm -hmm. was the truth in there? So that kind of core mystery was so important in the real thing. Give us a preview of kind of what we're going to see, like what's the core thread that's going to drive the games through Angel Dust and through King for a Day. You, Ward, you talked about kind of like the big meta plots, but I'm talking more about like the kernel of what are the play, not so much what are the characters going to experience, but what are the players going to experience through this? They'll, they will experience the ability to create their own world now. They've created themselves 
now they'll be able to create their world. There are places in the scenario that are fixed that they will get to go to, right? But outside of that, when they make discoveries, they'll be prompted to, okay, instead of what was the time you were when, hey, tell me about a place and your experience there. Tell me about a place when you went with this person and what that experience is there. And they really get to create the world around them. So the real thing is a very small sandbox. You are basically in. So Angel Dust really opens it back up. And you start to go into the world and you're with this group and you really create what that world is. And so that still goes into the idea of whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you might be playing, you can add things that are familiar to you or you can completely make up new things that make sense for the moment and the scenario and then get to play with that through things such as like location moves or factions. Oh, I like to go to this donut shop because it reminds me of XYZ and the cops are there and they treat me this way. So there you've just created a location and you've created a group of people and we've given tools to the narrators to help create what that location can then do for or against the players and what that group can do or faction can do for or against those players. And that's the world you're sitting in. And what you're going to go through is it's really open-ended. There are four different possible paths that lead you back to the person you guys interacted with at the end. But more so, you're more into that organization if you're playing through that story and scenario. So it's more like the real thing was about truth and about trying to figure out what the actual truth of the situation was, where Angel Dust is more about trust. What can I trust and who can I trust and what can I trust as far as locations? Can I even trust what I know the world to be or not? Now that I've figured out what the truth is, is that truth actually valuable? Yes, and much like Angel Dust, the album, right? Everything's ruined or smaller and smaller malpractice. Midlife crisis, yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's the theme there is, okay, I I guess I know who I am or maybe I'm still questioning who I am, but like now, what is this place I'm in? Yeah. And that's really Angel Dust. You're defining what this place is that you're in and who you choose to follow or usurp or what you choose to do with the information you're given. That's great for Angel Dust, I think. And I hadn't really thought of the word trust to describe that, but if it's one word, I think trust is a great one for it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Speaking of Angel Dust specifically, there's something that, brilliant and fantastic album. It was something that wasn't on the original release of the album, but it was on subsequent re-releases with extended stuff, which is their cover of Easy by the Commodores. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant cover. Love it. Best version of that song, if you ask me. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. And I love the the video. I'm always about that video because Mike was off the chain good. Like he was so freaking smooth in that video. That's the one that broke Jim Martin in the end. Yeah. He was just like, I'm done here. I can't because everyone likes easy so much and that's not who I am. (laughs) Yeah. I'm out. I'm done. Sorry, Jim. I really am. It was Uh, great. It was, you were amazing, but, and, but that song was also amazing. I I really wish he could have loved that song as much as the rest of us did. (laughs) So speaking about the music, because do you go back to the music? Talk to me about how, the individual songs play into some of the scenarios if you can without spoiling and my big question because easy is my single favorite song off that album Interesting. does that make an appearance <laughs> in angel dust and if so can you give me a hint as to how 
So before Ward gets into it, a caveat to your favorite song on that album, it was released as an EP after that album first with yeah, Dr. So Fest and Les Lynch Landlord, Les which Lord, yeah. is in my memory, the perfect little EP okay. thing that was fun. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. Music to make love to. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> so good. Right? You're going to have that wrong. Yeah. That totally, yeah. no, totally now I have myself questioning, is that the Lovage album title? I don't remember. <laughs> no, that one's Music to Me, Love to Your Lady by. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> close. Close. All right. close. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, here's the thing. The songs make an appearance in tone all over the place. Yeah. And I'll start with the tone of the album. The album is an enormous juxtaposition of the previous to the previous album and to itself internally. Yeah. Those songs are all over the board. It is <laughs> the, the album's metal is at its core, compares particularly compared to most of the real thing. There's some pretty metal songs on the real thing as well. But when you get to caffeine and jizzlobber and uh, I love Jizzlobber. Uh, Land of Sunshine. And yeah. there, there are some just real bangers on, geez, Angel Dust. And then you throw in some things like RV and Woodpecker from Mars. And is Woodpecker from Mars on That's the real thing. But Midnight Cowboys. That's what you're thinking of. Yeah, I just think of. Yeah. And throw Easy on there. And you've got this crazy juxtaposition of songs that I would call contemplative versus expressive. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to look at Angel Dust overall is you are coming out of this contemplative phase with the real thing. And and there's, you're asked to still do some of that with Angel Dust, particularly in your inner relationships between the group members and your relationship to those that you are being asked to associate with. But the stuff you need to do, the stuff that you're going to be asked to do or you're going to want to do is metal. Like you're going to go into some situations, you are going to just bang your head against some scenarios and it doesn't matter what type of characters you're playing, whether they are the social characters, the cerebral characters, the physical characters, there is something metal about every situation you're going to find yourself in. And so to me, that is really the tone of the angel dust portion of the series is that juxtaposition of fitting yourself into what is the real world, which is constantly being inundated with these different feelings and just life choices and all of that. So yeah, it gets frenetic on you, which is great. That's what I was hoping to hear because the real thing has a sense of sameness to it not in a negative way, but in this all fits like it Mm -hmm. moves, it has its ebbs and flows, but it moves emotionally, sonically, energetically through these phases that all make logical progressive sense there's nothing in that album that sounds what they're very different the world comes out of nowhere see i didn't think so honestly i felt i was on this riding this high that often doesn't the end of the world come out of nowhere i felt that i was (laughs) riding this high and i needed that moment to to not and and i think that's for me how i felt with it but when i look at angel dust because of that juxtaposition that you mentioned i was like how does that fit into the game sense and you just described kind of what to expect and the tonal issues there like i know when we played the real thing scenario there were some elements that were very much wow this feels like this song right but it didn't necessarily have to i made it like kind of like an internal game is 
how many of these song titles can I fit into my character's statement and have it be natural to the scene? Like I put oh, yeah. effort into doing that. Uh, yes, you did. I just wanted to, and I loved it. Surprise, you're dead. I love that. I sat on that line as much as I possibly could. And so I really look forward to Angel Dust being able to do a similar type of thing, but knowing that it's all these different places, like I'm like, this is going to be cool. It's almost like a whole new level of challenge to, to be in these moments in yeah. this way. And I really look forward to that a lot. Yeah. And it is a lot harder to pin down, I think, from a feeling tone and experience perspective than the real thing was in that the real thing was a walled garden. You are, the narrator has autonomy to do some things and the players have a ton of agency, but it's all within this walled garden. Yeah. Because you specifically can't be where you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Angel dust doesn't have that. There are no more walls. So the space opens up a ton and we don't want to control how that goes. We want to influence it and we want to influence it and make sure it has those tones that we were talking about. We can't guarantee it. If you thought there was a, an infinite number of possibilities for what the real thing could be like, Angel <laughs> oh. Dust is going to be even more. Yeah. You're never going to play the same game twice with that one. Yeah. Guaranteed. The scariest part of the real thing is when it's, and now you're out in the world. And I'm like, that's, and that's it. That's I'm Angel like, Dust. I'm like, what the actual F? Yeah. Do we go right? Do we go left? What's going to happen? That freaked me out. And it was very, very much part of the experience for me is now I'm scared. Like I felt safer in that building knowing the cops were coming than escaping the cops and being out in the street, not knowing where to go. That was an interesting emotional tug that I just never anticipate from games. You get out of the place you were trying to get out of and now it's scary. That's weird. <laughs> That's yeah. new. That's exciting. <laughs> that's what every person who spends more than about six months in prison feels when they get out. And that's, that is an intentional product of the game we wrote and of law enforcement in the prison system. That was an awesome breakdown of how the music influenced the angel dust book, the angel dust chapter, the center of the story. Could you give us the, musical breakdown of how it relates to the story that it's going to take us through King for a day. And I know that's still being tinkered with and worked on. And obviously we don't want spoilers. Yeah. It can give you as close to what we have right now. Right. So King for a day, we got Ricochet, you got digging to grave, just a man, right? Mm. Like great songs that are, they're still introspective. And I, I think that's a, the thing about any good musician, or any good band, like all their music is introspective, but, but we're not going to try to focus so much on the introspection as we are like, okay, it's more cosmic mm-hmm. in ways, right? Don't look at me. I'm ugly in the morning. <laughs> the gentle art of making enemies. Yeah. yeah. Like that's much more out. Like they go more out than angel dust does. Even though some of the songs like take this bottle are very, interior but it's i can wait to love in heaven that's still very exterior it's both think about so, just a man maybe. yeah exactly yeah. oh just a man's my what it's like Laura, i did it for my one of my senior recital songs for so Columbia. Good. yeah it's so a great good. track yeah well, so what we're doing with king for a day is taking that theme of even expanding more in into this what is this universal self right and am i just a man or am i something else am i the flying cock or Am I the last to know? And that's really the dive we're going to go into, right? And again, the scenario is not completely written, but there's a very loose outline. And the point is, say what? It's a pretty tight outline at this point. We know we're... That's fair. 
you will interact with some of the NPCs you're familiar with from the real thing and some of the people you've met in Angel Dust. And it wraps everything back around on itself and comes back to its root a little bit. It's not, it's again, it's not, you're not back, the world doesn't get smaller necessarily. But your influence in the world gets larger. Your understanding of what's actually going on gets larger through the interactions you have with NPCs from the past. And how you deal with that is really, uh, again, agency is a big thing for us. Yeah. So what you choose to do, it matters in that game probably more than even the rest of them. Yeah. The choices have more gravitas. So if I'm piecing together what you're saying and trying to put a musical point on it. It sounds with King for a Day, you have the opportunity to take your agency to a new level, but provide the coda to your entire experience. You're going to circle back to previous decisions, previous choices, and whether you decide to go with them or not, it still is effectively a coda because this is where I was. This is what I went through. This is where I am. And this is who I am. Yep. Yeah. And I think if we're going to give it a one-worder, we have truth, trust, and now we have power. Um, 100%. I think King for a Day is about power. And from our the behind-the-curtain view of it is it's a little bit about speaking truth to power on a large scale, right? Or in our brains, that's what we hope people see in it. But it's also about what is the nature of power, how should power be wielded, who should have power and who shouldn't, and what happens when I have power. These are all questions that are going to be tackled in King for a Day, and they come with their own new mechanisms and things like that. And we're really excited about those. I find King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, the album, really hard to pin down. It is one of the most eclectic albums in my collection. Evidence. Um, yeah, it is all over the board. And That's every like song it. is good. That's like, why I love that band. That's why I love Faith the More, because yeah. there isn't an album that sounds like another one. Right. But yeah. it all sounds like Faith the More. And even with <laughs> within one album, you have so many different styles. Yeah. And it's just, it, they're so good. They're yeah. so Kudos good. to Mike yeah. Patton, because my thought is musicians, like real musicians, can play anything if you ask them to and give them time to work it out, whether they're writing it or not. A real musician can play a style or play a thing. Singing a thing that is outside of your natural style is exorbitantly difficult. There are people who have range and there are people who can do multiple different things, regardless of whether there are types of music I love. I can't sing them. Like it, whether, and it's not a pitch thing. It's not a volume thing. It's not a whatever. It's I don't, my body, my vocal cords don't move. I rhythmically am not in tune with that style, despite the fact I love it with all my heart and soul. So Mike Patton to me is what's amazing about him as a vocalist is his ability to move through so many different styles as a vocalist. Like I am forever in awe of his ability to do that. That's just really freaking cool to me when you can do that it's just one of those things that i've noticed it's just hard to do different styles like legit i agree with what you're saying like definitely kudos to mike Patton. he's a fantastic vocalist but at the same time like legit mike borden billy gold roddy bottom like those cats write the music yeah and they like it would not be faith no more without the bass and the keys and mike's just like 
simplistic and yet sophisticated drumming style. Like everybody in that band just they were all beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. If you listen to music before Mike Patton came on, it was still oh, yeah. really good. I know oh, yeah. oh, yeah. the style of music, but the music was already on point. Yeah. And there's a I'm gonna plug mm-hmm. friends of our acquaintances of ours, podcast croissant. They are the Faith No oh, More pod- yeah. podcast. It's run by some of the same people that do the Faith No More followers blog and social media. They do about an episode a month, every six weeks, something like that. And they're in the process of breaking down every song and the different members of the band. And it is probably two or three years of material at this point. And I am constantly learning how awesome the other members of the band are that I just didn't notice because I'm not a musician. They're just am- off the charts. <laughs> yeah, they uh, are. Uh, and uh, as a musician, legit, yeah. there is... They're it's players. not just Mike Patton. Uh, they're like, players, no doubt. <laughs> 100%. Everybody in that band is flipping phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I could talk for hours and, about Mike Borden because like, here's- Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Metal drummers <laughs> do too much. They try to do too much because they think that's what the battery needs to be. Mike Borden has this fantastic ability to do just enough, but in a really minimal sense. It lets everything else shine- in a way, but still be supported. There's a reason I've that he to tour with some of the greats, Ozzy Osbourne, right? Yeah, Ozzy, Corn, yeah. oh, that uh, Jerry Cantrell. <laughs> no, the list goes on. Like yeah. he is a great drummer. Yeah, Billy yeah. Gold, a great bass player. Yeah, oh, like, so go songs, back and yeah. listen to them and listen to the bass lines. You'll be like, oh snap! I didn't realize even yeah. what was going on. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah. I, I, the bass line is like when we were talking earlier. I told you, you said Woodpecker's from Mars. I all I'm hearing is I'm hearing the bass line. That's that da, 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 dig, dig, da, dig, dig, da. yeah totally yeah, man like, yeah i feel that in my core josh what you just described about the drummer reminds me of something that robert plant said about bonzo in an interview once he's like everybody thinks bonzo is playing about power but it's what he's not doing and how he's not doing it or something i'm paraphrasing poorly but he was actually talking about that kind of thing where it's like bonzo's not doing what people think he's doing yeah. And that's why they have such a hard time replicating him because they're doing what they think he's doing and it will never be the same because he's doing a totally different kind of thing. And, uh, and that sounds very similar to what you're describing here. Yeah. yeah. Somehow an hour has come and gone, gentlemen. I'm not <laughs> sure how this happened, but alas, it is true. We were cheated. Um, yeah. Absolutely cheated. I demand a recount in, in a couple months after we have played through <laughs> through Angel Dust. We'll have to come back and go ahead and talk about it. But in the meantime, when this episode comes out, it's coming out on the 21st. So your Kickstarter has just launched, right? Or is just about to launch? No, it will launch on the 24th at midnight. So the okay, 20, okay. I guess cool. 25th at midnight. Sorry. Right, so, yeah. the 25th. Cool, Excellent. cool. All right. So it'll be launching in a couple of days here. How do our listeners find it? And how do they? where can they find other things that Accidental Cyclops is doing? Yeah, so it's not actually a Kickstarter. We keep saying Kickstarter. This is going directly from BackerKit. We oh, are cool. skipping okay. the Kickstarter phase. Yeah, so BackerKit's yeah. got their own program now called Launch. Yep. We've got a following already on BackerKit. We said, you know what, let's just let's leverage that. The people at BackerKit have been great to work with. And so they said, give us a try, and we decided to. And so it's going live on BackerKit on the 25th at midnight. If you back in the first two days, there's free stickers involved. This campaign's a lot lighter on... 
the extras. It's really focused on the books. And then we also have a, so my, the coolest thing I think is we, we really debated and we went back to the, we surveyed our backers and asked what we should do. We wanted to put together an anthology of some sort because people want to be able to buy all three at once. And what we landed on is people really want three separate books that all have the same aesthetic as the first book. And that surprised me. I thought people would be good with getting one book that had all three put together. So what we're going to do to get that same feel is put a slipcase with it. So you can order a slipcase to go with all three of the books. It fits in there nicely, fits the glove. There's a new couple new sets of dice. We've got a couple new t-shirts and that's really what we limited it to. We didn't do a bunch of the extra stuff this time. But Um, the content is what's going to be extra. Yes. So stretch goals are all content based. Cool. Yep. So we're going to add more adventure starters, more challenges in the catalog for the sandbox, that sort of stuff. If we get to a certain point, you, you might see a woodpecker from Mars in there. Yeah. Yeah. When we did our Kickstarter, we did the same thing. We did stretch goals were all content based and we're doing another one this fall and that will also be similar where all the stretch goals will be content based. Just the more people that back, the bigger the book gets. Exactly. Cool. Go to Accidental Cyclops. Go to the website and you'll be able to find it there. Yeah. Yep. Alrighty then. Well, Ward Piercy, thank you so very much for coming on here and uh, don't run away when we're done recording because we're going to start talking dates about when we can go ahead and do Angel Dust. I think, I think we have to go ahead and make this happen, especially since I'm not going to have to edit it like that enough for me. That was like, (laughs) I'm still coming down down from that. The old notes are still there. You just told your listeners, by the way, that you're going to be doing something they don't get to experience. I know it's fantastic, but they can't. They're going to get to listen to us talk about it. That's true. Yeah. And to be fair, to be fair, once all the books are out and we are doing more conventions in 2024, maybe if there's enough interest and folks are going to be joining us at conventions, we might maybe goes on the road and and run a session uh, at some of the conventions we have. I'm not opposed to a catacon. I should totally run the real thing. I've been wondering what I should do when we go to. Yes. Maybe I'll try that out. Yeah. I I think Mike would eat that up. But anyway, that's a whole separate. I can also say as one of the backer levels is if we get to a certain point or certain backers, we get enough people at a certain point, we run the games with them. Nice. Nice. So that's also one of the levels. Like if you're hitting here, we're going to figure out how to run a game with you. Perfect. Cannot wait to see what you guys do. The real thing was so freaking genius, as we said. Cannot wait to go ahead and see what you guys do with Angel Dust. So thank you very much for coming on tonight. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to go ahead and sit down and talk about your next project. You've got three fans here, plus an army that have heard us talk about it for two and a half years now or whatever. (laughs) So yeah, so good luck. Really, really hoping the best for you guys and really cannot wait to see Angel Dust. Thanks a ton for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We're excited too that I've talked everybody into doing the play. So next week we've got other friends of the show from Lucky Newt Games coming on to talk about their Kickstarter campaign. And then we got some other stuff coming up here. We've got a, a Jen Sutcliffe coming on in a little bit to talk about Savage World. So that'll be fun. We're nice. talking with a bunch of a bunch of other systems. It's supposed to be a good time. Thank you much for listening. Appreciate your time as always. Don't forget to check out the Patreon. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a good night, all. Awkward See you later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday. And every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. 
Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Await.